But, you know, we start uh, and we just see a man. He's in a dusty place uh, with his robot dog. He's humming American Pie. And we have, like, these radiation warnings. He's got this kind of truck uh, that he he kind of rushes to get back to. And we see this kind of dust cloud approach. Um, And, you know, then he goes back to his, like, his his home, which is, like, this Mm -hmm. research facility. Uh, which obviously we'll find out as this as this kind of, this scene progresses that basically he was he was lucky that he was here because it protected him from the disaster you know the event as we may refer to it that kind of uh, caused you know basically nobody else to be able to live on this this planet um, but you know if I was a kid and I was watching this film um, I would want to build these these this truck that he's in because he's it's like you know this purpose built like modified like kind of research truck thing. That kind of yeah, yeah, it's it's almost a monster truck in a way. Yeah, because he's pushing cars out of the way as he's driving through the streets. And I wonder if that was him actually in the like the driver's seat during those stunts. I guess if you could call him that. You're thinking about the wrong Tom. That's Tom Cruise. This is Tom Hanks. <laughs> he just he does he does two things in his films. He gets naked and he pisses. He doesn't drive things. He doesn't do stunts. Uh, that's the other Tom. You'll notice that Tom Cruise in none of his films has ever urinated. <laughs> really? Is, it... <laughs> Is there a Tom Cruise piss watch? I don't. There? I don't know. I don't know if that's completely correct, but it's just obviously a thing that Tom Hanks is known for. Um, I not not so. I mean, the peeing kind of, but yeah, but also again, you know, you can attest to this having watched a hologram for the king, getting naked. He likes to take his clothes off. Um, yep. And that is something that he does in this in this film. Obviously, he gets a lot of dust in his suit. Uh, he's got this kind of custom made, it, like it's meant to be like a space suit, but obviously it's like a radiation suit with a helmet, and mm-hmm. you know the helmet obviously is not with the suit. Like it, it's been adapted so that he can use it. Um, and when he gets home, obviously yeah, he gets naked because you know the radiation and all the dust and everything. So he's got to get clean. Uh, we find out his name is Finch Weinberg, uh, which is a like distinctly Jewish name for Tom Hanks, who is yep. definitely not that, but you know. Yeah, I, I was thinking like how many times has he played a Jewish character and <laughs> stolen someone's job, basically. <laughs> I, I mean what you expect Seth Rogan would have had this part instead or Yeah, like I mean well it's twenty twenty two now and like yeah. we could have like more accurate Jewish uh, representation on screen i guess yeah, for sure yeah i mean well let's see this film but with the jonah hill in the main in the main part now that jonah hill has yeah, lost like his hill sense. could have pulled this off like yeah now he's lost his sense of humor and he only does serious stuff um yeah um you know it's it's home sweet home i think he said actually says that and we see that yeah, he's on the, the mat yeah and and we see that his dog is waiting for him uh his dog who i don't think he refers to him by name for a while um no, he just calls him dog for like the first hour and a half. I think, <laughs> an hour. Yeah, I think eventually he like he's you know he has to give it a name in the same way he has to give his robot a name. Um, but yeah, we see that he has a couple of robots in here doing some tasks. One is like ripping all the pages out of books and scanning them all. Uh, which at first you're like, why is he ripping all the pages out of these books? Like, what, is he burning them or something? Is he Hitler? Is this a film about Hitler? And then you realise, no, no. no, actually he's doing the opposite. He's preserving all the books and he's scanning them in. And also he's using the, the scanned books to form a database that will, you know, help uh, program a robot. Um, yeah, uh, it's actually a pretty cool, like, uh, process because they put the books on this, uh, a, a giant blade machine that presses down and cuts the back off, the spine off the book off, so... They can photocopy these uh, or scan these images uh, quicker. Yeah, that's called a guillotine, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I used to. I used. To, I used to operate one of those uh, at a job that uh, I really? had. Really? Just yeah. in an office job or something? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like an industrial guillotine, and 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 they are. You have to get them sharpened like every like two two to three weeks because otherwise they just become very dull very quickly. 
Um, but mm-hmm. that's what you use to cut, like, you know, when you've printed stuff and you need it cut so that you can get rid of all the white edges, that's how you do it, is you throw them under a guillotine <laughs> and you cut, like, 500 at a time. I think I get it, I think I guillotine could do two reams in one go, so you could cut up to a 1,000 pages uh, with, okay. <laughs> with accuracy, because after that, it would it would drift, so it wouldn't cut exactly where you want it to cut. Um, and generally, you wouldn't put more than two, 300 under there. You wouldn't want to, if you were cutting card, you'd limit it to about 100. Um, but yeah, so the guillotine cuts the cuts the glue off the books essentially, cuts the binding off, and it makes it so that they can scan it, duck the pages in. The robot turns them over so that it scans one side, then scans the other. Um, and yeah, it's a nice little kind of like Rube Goldberg thing going on. Uh, you know, reminds you a little bit of the the you know the breakfast making machine at the start of uh, Back to the Future. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman. Well, all that information knowledge. Yeah, but... well. I mean, the thing is, as well, is like this is something I do like in films is when someone has like an elaborate like setup to do something simple. I mean, this has a purpose, but, you know, like when you see something where someone's got like a machine that basically cracks eggs and you like like this, you could do that quicker yourself. Like you're not saving <laughs> yeah. any time. This is not efficient, but this this is efficient. But I, you know, I like the kind of the machinery of it. Um, and, you know, yeah, we like we, we basically see that there's lots of books about like solar flares and radiation. I get like, you know show not tell it's kind of giving you the background of what we think might be happening but you know we we kind of with the kind of radiation warnings and stuff like that we, it's already been hinted at but you know the sun yeah. is basically I, I think the film does it really well like it's you know yeah. like this film is not perfect but it's just like that's a really simple way to tell the audience what's going on and without having to like without tom hanks looking at the camera and t- telling the audience what's going on <laughs> or without narration like I feel, yeah. I feel like there would have been a time where some films would be literally have had Tom Hanks going, uh, you know, fifty years ago the sun had a solar flare and it knocked out, yeah. you know, and just like kind of going on about that and, uh, you know, and also I think this will obviously figure as a larger metaphor for the fact that this is happening now, but not with a solar flare, but with man-made yeah. pollution that is basically destroying the planet and killing everybody. Uh, it's doing yeah, it at we, a slower we rate. We find out later that uh, the flare was like a. It's from the sun, so it's it wasn't man-made, and I thought that was like a like a really uh, terrible move. Like, it should have been a man-made disaster, personally. Well, like, no, because sh- the the metaphor is the fact that when the, they were told about the solar flare and that it was coming, some people hid, and okay. that is what people are doing now with regards to global warming. They are trying to hide. Oh, wh- and, okay. <laughs> so it's you know yeah, I, I, yeah the disaster could I mean that like the humans as shown by Finch they could survive it. But some people didn't want to because they just wanted to ignore it. And that's I think that's the the way the metaphor is working. But yeah, like if there had been some kind of man made thing in there as well where like they'd contribute to it, I think it would have been uh, you well, know, an I mean, interesting like, idea. Hank's Hank's whole thing is like well his character Finch is like humans destroyed the earth because we were selfish and so on and so on. That's all he's the real monster sort of nonsense. Yeah. Um well, I mean, yeah, like we take about 16 minutes, but we finally get there. There is a robot that is being built by Finch. He's already built other robots, but they just help him do minor tasks. They move stuff. They let his dog out. You know, they, like yeah, one, look, one of them does Darren's former job at the office. <laughs> yeah, one of them's guillotining stuff. Um, it was fun to work that guillotine, I tell you. Like, if you ever get a yeah, chance I'm to... Yeah, I'm sure. It was incredible. Oh, it's... Oh, it's all that paper. Yeah. Oh, that's so much... Yeah, so satisfying to... When you get it, you know, just right. Um, but yeah, so... And we find out that, uh, you know, Finch has been scanning all this information to preserve it, but also to use it to train his robot. Um, and he's got some cameras that are going to be eyes and... Uh, it doesn't I mean, it, it's kind of shaped like a human, which is obviously the least efficient way for a robot to be shaped, as people have found out, like the, the yeah. robots in car factories don't look like humans doing the jobs that humans do. They are specifically made to do one task over and over. That's how you build robots. Um, mm-hmm. And then also that's how you put tons of people out of jobs. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like it's I mean, the whole rationale behind uh, the robot being humanoid is like, you know, so to replicate the human dog relationship yeah there is well there is that and obviously we'll talk about it later on how successful that goes but i think also it's because this is a puppet effectively that's operated by a bunch of people and caleb landry jones is on set standing near where the robot is and so that's why it's mm-hmm. that's why it's roughly the height of caleb landry jones uh, because he effectively he's been rotoscoped out as a lot of the shots similar to the way that they they did um uh chappy one of the worst films ever made uh with charlotte copley <laughs> who was basically in like a suit and they 
they they painstakingly went over every single frame and got rid of Chateau Copley and replaced him with Chappie. I should say that uh, Cable uh, is on he's on stilts, so he's not that he's not actually that tall. He's yeah. just on stilts. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but like it, you know, he's the space he's in is the space they've got to like rotoscope him out of. So yeah, you know, that's why he fits like that. And of course, we should take a moment to talk about Caleb Landry Jones. Uh, you know, a wonderful actor who, um, you know, has been in many, many great films. Um, I, and the, what's weird is like looking at the films he's been in, like I'm like, I've seen him in a lot. Of, I mean, the first couple of films where he wasn't really credited <laughs> was like No Country for Old Men and Superbad, which is, you know, that's a printer, pretty interesting 2007 for anybody. That's like a, that's a good like role that that's a good bit part for a kid. Like. Yeah. Um, Boy on Bike and Boy at Party. Those were his uh, his roles in those. Uh, and then he was Fraternity Boy in uh, The Social Network. Uh, I think most people would know him first from uh, X-Men First Class, where he played Banshee, uh, a character... Does he, do an, uh, does he do an Irish accent in that? I can't remember. Sort of, vaguely. Um, but the, the weirdest thing is, of course... I mean, he's from Texas, so... Uh, yeah, he his Irish accent is as good as you expect for a Texan. Um, and he, but what's funny is his character was so popular in that that they immediately killed it off in the next film. <laughs> so yeah. they spend a ton of that film trying to figure out how to harness his banshee power, his high patch screaming so he can fly and all this kind of stuff. Next film, oh, he was killed. Um, yeah, uh, is that the uh, uh, Days of Future Past? I well, Days of Future Past. Yeah, I think is the next film. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that film actually. But yeah, just it randomly killing yeah, off. They spend they spend yeah. so much time getting all these characters together for first class, and then apart from Beast and Mystique, they kill them all off uh, off screen. Um, yeah, so he was also in um, uh, you know Contraband. Uh, he was in David Cronin's son's film Antiviral. Um, and uh, also, I think most people would, again, like, you know, if you don't know him from First Class, then you definitely know him from Get Out, where he plays. Yeah, I think that's really his, when he broke out, quote-unquote. Like, I, I think it, yeah. Yeah, he plays the brother of uh, of uh, the woman from um, from Girls, who is uh, baiting, <laughs> yeah. baiting people. Oh, oh, as I call it, Catherine Keener's son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Catherine yeah, Keener's son. He's actually really good in the role, and oh, no, he's yeah. like creepy, and yeah. Yeah, uh, and I think somebody realised that he is just naturally creepy, and so uh, they cast him in three billboards outside Emmy, Missouri, as this kind of weirdly creepy person. Um, who gets beaten up by Sam Rockwell and thrown out of a window, if I remember correctly, which is... Uh, I remember that scene, but I hate that movie, so I yeah, just, it's not, like... Yeah, it's not a great film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he's also in The Florida Project, for people who like The Florida Project. In fact, the AARP movies for grown-ups, they did love The Florida <laughs> Project because I think they gave that best intergenerational movie or something. Um, um, uh, he was also in American Maid, which is an interesting film. Um, uh, stars Tom Cruise. So obviously he's worked with both Toms at this point in his career. Uh, and interestingly, American Made is about a character who basically he he starts like flying for drug, drug runners. And his part in a different film called The Infiltrator uh, is, is, is basically on screen for about 30 seconds and he gets killed really quickly. So when you're watching American Made, you're like, I know that this guy dies because he died in a different film. So <laughs> The Infiltrator is like a spoiler for American Made, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, he's been also in The Dead Don't Die, which I thought was a fun film. Uh, I went and saw that mm. with a friend. He did not enjoy it as much. Um, and then obviously, uh, more recently, he was in um, The Forgiven, which was released at cinemas last week and finished at cinemas last week over here. Um, and before that... What is The Forgiven? Sweet. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> like... uh, it's a film with uh, Ray Fiennes in. Um, I, I, I actually, I remember reading about it. Yeah, yeah Ray Fiennes and Jessica Chastain. And Matt Smith. Yeah, they run over someone. Yeah. And uh, Abby Lee, who I'm trying to remember what else I've seen her in. She's in, uh, was she in? Oh, Mad Max Fury Road. That's where I remember Abby Lee from. Um, (laughs) And she was also in Old, where people go to a beach where they get old. Um, But of course, he was the lead role in Nitram, playing the character (laughs) Nitram, uh, which... When I saw the trailer, both me and my friend were like, what the hell does Nitram mean? And it turns out it's the, it's Martin backwards. <laughs> do, do they ever say the name Martin in that movie? Or Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, yeah. I think he won, like, uh, he won at Cannes for that performance. He did, yes. He won Best Actor. Uh, he also yeah. won at uh, the Australian Films Award, the Actor. Yeah. Actor. A-A-C-T-A. Yeah. yeah. 
but pronounced actor like people who act uh it won best film and best direction best original screenplay best actor best actress best supporting act- best supporting actress best editing it was nominated for best sound production design costume design best hair and makeup best casting didn't win any of those or best cinematography which i think is a pity because the cinematography in nitram is amazing um but yeah so that was basically uh, australia's um titanic uh <laughs> yeah like to fun time at the movies and uh yeah it won a lot of awards if people haven't seen nitram i'm I, not gonna i should say i slightly have a tinge of regret saying that because i'm sure like some australian person's gonna tweet at me or whatever thing. like it is not our titanic uh... <laughs> a titanic in the sense that it basically won every award um, uh yeah and it's based in on a historical event and so on and so on <laughs> yeah um although apparently and there's also a wraparound uh narrative about uh bill paxton in knit Ram as well you'd be surprised <laughs> yeah uh, he's go he's going on about some brooch as well and i'm like this didn't really feature that much in the main part of the film uh it got 90 ni- bill paxton <laughs> yeah it got 91 percent on rotten tomatoes um but yeah i saw knit Ram and i was like this like this film's amazing also there's a plot twist if you don't know what the film's about where i'm like Halfway through, I was like, oh, wait there a second. I think I know where this is going. Uh, but yeah, Anthony Paglia is great in it. Judy Davis, Essie Davis, like Caleb Landry Jones, like the whole cast. Did you, did you think he did the Australian accent okay? Or? And do you know what? His character doesn't say a huge amount. Anthony Paglia did a okay. great Australian accent because I think he's Australian, isn't he? So, <laughs> Australian, yes. Yeah, but he spent, he spent like 10 years doing like that TV show in America where he, he was pretending to be from New York. So um, yeah. where he did a good American accent. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I'd be honest with you, like his character very rarely says anything. And when he does, he's kind of mumbly. Um, okay. But it was very like, a you know, an intense performance. It was, you know. Yeah, that, it must have been pretty good. It had like, because he won, won at Cannes for, yeah. Yeah, he won at Cannes and, he, and then he won an actor. And then, you know, um, it was also nominated. We, we have yet to see what the AARP thinks of his performance. <laughs> we, yeah, well, I await their, their verdict. Uh, in fact, there is. Here's the funny thing: there is a relationship in Nitram between somebody who's like 20 years older, and and that is like. Yeah. So so it could it could win best it intergenerational. Could be best in- <laughs> that could that could be the award um, it wins from the AARP. But yes, people should really see Nitram. You know, uh, obviously not an not an overlooked film in Australia because it won tons of awards, but overlooked in the rest yeah. of the world. Um, yeah, know. I'm sure it's like a pretty niche sort of film you know like i'm yeah it's i'm, I'm curious to see what uh the reception will get in america because like obviously it's about the uh, gun violence and so on yeah that's all we'll say we're not going to spoil it because i think people should go into that film as cold as possible Yep. Uh, but yeah, so Caleb Landry Jones is in this film, and he's the voice of the robot who has just been made. And this robot, uh, he's he's do- actually doing mocap as well, of course. But yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's doing the perform. Yeah, yeah he's doing everything. Yeah, as we said, like Chappie, a film which I would not recommend people watch. Um, you know, six letters like Nitram, but not a good film. Uh, one more letter than this film. Uh, so you know, if you're judging it based on the amount of letters in a film title. Uh, but yeah, so you know, he we kind of get a bit of a you know a kind of talk through what he's what his prime directive is, which is not to harm humans or let her humans come to harm. Uh, at this point, we only know that there's one human in the entire world, so that's a very narrow thing that he's going to be doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the fourth directive he has is not that he can't arrest members of OCP, uh, but it is that he cannot. You know, he's got to protect the dog. <clears throat> and yeah. So that it, it, which supersedes directives one one through three. Yeah, basically, so the dog is more important. Yeah, basically, protect the, protect the dog is the reason that he's been built. So that that's what he should do. Um, you know, uh, the power goes out, and we see that uh, Finch goes up to the roof, and we can see that he's got some uh, wind turbines. Uh, one of which has got like a broken blade, and the the fan on this wind turbine has stopped, so he manages to fix it. Um, when he gets back downstairs, he sees that the dog has peed on the robot, which I thought was funny. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a classic. <laughs> That's good dog acting right there. Classic gag. Uh, yeah, good dog acting from uh, Seamus. Um, and uh, yeah, but like we see that there's a thunderstorm approaching, but it's not just going to be like a normal thunderstorm. It's going to be a 40 day superstorm, which means that they won't be able to go out and get food. And so yeah. they're going to have to leave the facility at St. Louis. Um, and Finch gets a bit of a nosebleed and that is the kind of indication to the audience 
Um, and much like in the days of when a Victorian woman would cough into her, um, you know, <laughs> handkerchief and a tiny bit of blood would be there, that Finch is basically dying. Uh, that is why he's, so you, he's built the robot. Did you think he had tuberculosis uh, at this point in the movie? You're like, oh, he's got TB. He's no, I mean, I like it's not explicitly said, but I think it's pretty obvious yeah. it's radiation poisoning. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, obviously in Victorian novels it's always TB. Uh, yeah, or if they don't know where it is, it's always TBA. That is a, <laughs> That'd be the worst worst bedside manner of all time. TBA. That's a that's diagnosis. A, that's a joke from Arrested Development. Oh really? Yeah, they they held like a charity thing and they can't think of a they can't think of a charity, so they put TBA and then everyone thinks that TBA is the is the disease. Um. So yes. Uh. But yeah, we like you know. Uh, we see him trying to train the robot because the robot needs to be able to walk. And so we get a little bit of a, not a montage, but, you know, a brief scene where he keeps showing him how, you know, put, how to put one foot in front of the other. And he eventually kind of picks it up pretty quickly. And then, like, you know, they start packing mm-hmm. stuff and they get ready to leave. Um, and, you know, I, it, it feels like we're breezing through this pretty quickly. But, like, a lot of this is just, like, the daily routine stuff of, like, cleaning stuff yep. and preparing I mean, stuff. It, and... it, it, the, the plot does really pick up because, like, the storm's coming in 24 hours. So he needs yeah. to get the hell out of there now, basically. Yeah, and I thought he was going to take, like, his monster truck. Um, but he doesn't. Instead, he takes his RV, which has been kitted yep. out with solar panels and various other things so that it can survive out in the desert. Uh, and again, if I was a kid, this is the kind of thing I would build out of Lego, would be like an armoured RV <laughs> with, you know, solar panels and stuff like that. Um, and they you know, basically, you know, he's he's like he's uh, he says to the robot, you know, where that where they're heading, they're heading to San Francisco, uh, you know, which is where all the hippies went during the 60s. So, of course, you know, boomer Tom Hanks is going to well, be. I'll come back to San Fran later when he <laughs> talks about he's the postcard and so on but yeah uh, when i saw that dog in the rv I, my main thoughts went to those episodes in fraser where they take an rv and eddie's in the car and they go on a road trip yeah have you seen any of those episodes yeah or? i've seen fraser i've watched fraser i mean i haven't watched it since it like originally aired i mean even though over here they you know they repeat endless endless like repeats of it on channel four you know i don't really spend my time re-watching fraser um, you know, he was a psychologist. He lived in Seattle. I got the point. Yeah, his brother was kind of funny. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember the episodes when they like went, you know, when they went outside of the apartment to other places. Um, yep. You know, but uh, yeah, so, you know, basically they're going to go head. They're going to go west um, because they can't go east because basically everything that used to grow crops towards the east is now all deserts. Um, yeah. This being an American, he, I'm going to. He also like. He also decides to avoid any major cities because he just unexplainedly says people. That's it. We don't get <laughs> we don't get why he hates people. Or so there are people. In the I world mean, and... uh, you know, until you live in the land of Mad Max, I assume you realize that once <laughs> once once things hit an apocalypse level, people are going to f- try and kill you for anything. So, you know, I I would have uh, I would have liked a little more elaboration, but yeah, it's just they don't really. Oh, well, we we got get into that later, but yeah, it's just uh, I, I I spent a lot of the film waiting for like like a horror turn, like oh they're they're mutated or or even just scavengers and so on and yeah all that stuff, but it never really happens. You were waiting for a uh, what's that film that's uh, that's set in uh, like an apocalypse, but it's got like Valley Girls. What's that called now? Uh, uh, Night of the Comet. Yes, Night of the Comet. I, I mean, I literally bought it on like DVD a few months ago, so I should have remembered. Uh, but yeah, Night of the Comet type thing where there's like vampires or whatever or mutants or and something. And you're bad dudes and yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, waiting, you're waiting for that moment to happen. But no, that that's never going to happen. Spoiler alert. We're never going to run into... We are kind of going to run into people, but we're never actually going to run into people yeah. in this... Um, like directly in the narrative of this film as we go forward. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we have, uh, like I said, you know, also from an American point of view, yeah, okay, so the east part of America is turned into deserts because nothing can live there. But I'm going to bet in Europe and Africa, everything's fine because they were prepared and they coped and they literally, <laughs> yeah. like there's public shelters where thousands of people live and they've all grown food underground and they're all they're all living fine. You know, America, uh, a, sel- actually... <laughs> a selfish country where everybody's out for themselves and they've all got guns. Probably, yeah, a lot of people were killing each other for what resources were left. But in Europe and Africa, I bet you they were cooperating and they were getting things done and they're all living happily and they just don't talk to America because they don't want them to know they're there in case they come with their guns and their bombs. <laughs> Uh, I I did have that thought where like 
the rest of the world was like just how it is now, but America's the only one that's in in a bad place. <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah, that would have been funny actually if at the end Finch, you know, gets to San Francisco and then we we go across the the ocean and we see in Japan everything's doing fine and <laughs> everyone's living, yeah. you know, they're like, oh yeah, the solar flare was a minor inconvenience because we were prepared and we're a society that care about each other, not one that is mm. full of guns. Um, but yeah, so, you know, th- th- we have some postcards of different bridges, which he, I think it were up on his fridge or on his wall, and he takes them all down and brings them with him. And then the robot, um, who I don't think he's given a name to yet, uh, but he kind of does no, eventually, he, and he, he have, like, the robot kind of chooses his name, and he chooses Jeff. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, he's telling Jeff about, you know, these various bridges, and he's like... Um, you know, uh, these you know these are postcards that were sent to him uh, by I think he says his uncle who was traveling and he sent all these postcards mm-hmm. and that's that's what he tells Jeff initially um, and there's some other postcards in there of like you know stuff from art galleries and, of, mm-hmm. you know. and yeah I think it's like I think he explains later he bought the rest of the postcards and all that stuff. Yeah, but, you know, it kind of gives the journey a bit of a kind of sentimental thing, like we're going to San Francisco because he's never been to San Francisco and he wants to see the Golden Gate Bridge and he thinks everything will be better on that side of the planet, so that's where they're heading. Um, And, you know, this is where, like, they stop near, like, a cinema and Finch kind of starts to tell uh, Jeff, like, how to survive. But, of course, Jeff being a robot, he, like, literally copies everything (laughs) so he's not like he doesn't really kind of get the nuance of like you know what he's meant to do um so i think that's kind of funny but he like there is a nice moment where he gets like a hubcap and he gets some popcorn from the cinema and because it's so like to demonstrate how hot it is outside he basically puts the hubcap in the sun and it starts making popcorn so as an audience we get the visual of like it would basically burn you yeah. to death and that's why you can't go in the sun so yeah it explains why he travels a lot in his suit um and he also kind of gives the rules about like you know um uh, you know like um just being polite basically like don't you know don't don't destroy other people's stuff you know be a bit respectful yeah. when you break into places and kind of the mantra that he gives him the robot will then repeat later on when he's by himself he'll just say it to himself just repeating word for word what finch said um but yeah. also again not fully getting the the how to put it into action but just repeating the words basically and and so it's it's kind of funny to see him interpret it that way um yeah it's it's basically a kid like he's kind of yeah. parenting this this robot and uh, what do you think of I, I th- what do you think of like uh, just how human the performance is of the robot? Like I think uh, like he's he's already from the bat he's pretty emotional already. Yeah, and uh, I I think you know obviously because Caleb Landry Jones is doing the physical performance as well, yeah. there are a lot of moments where he is kind of looking at Tom Hanks. Uh, like not quite understanding what he's saying and even though like obviously they've put a robot over the top of his performance there is still a little bit of that kind of like him not mm. fully understanding everything but just kind of repeating it um yeah. and you know so like that's that's kind of good and um you know but then we get uh you know uh, as happens with these films uh, a tornado is approaching and they need to tie down the rv um and so this is where he said like what does he say like give it a bit of elbow grease and, you, and he kind of, no slack and so on yeah so he kind of like he like he tells him what to do but kind of says it in like a folksy way that the robot doesn't fully understand but then he has to like show him like how to tighten the nuts yeah like he says like coffee me exactly or imitate me exactly yeah basically and i thought there was going to be a moment of him literally pushing tom hanks out of the way and just literally <laughs> doing it in the same place in the you know yeah but he, yeah, so, so he he learns to copy Tom Hanks, but obviously, you know, because he's a robot, he's a lot stronger. And, you know, obviously the storm comes and it lifts the RV up in the air. Um, but obviously Jeff goes outside, like, as the storm is still approaching and he starts tightening up all the, the nuts. And because he did that, the yep. RV survives. Like, if he hadn't done that, yep. then they would have got tornadoed away like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I like that... The, the director didn't take the temptation to play that music that plays while they're in the the, 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 like the that like that music that would have been funny if he'd have put yeah. that over there but he doesn't he plays it seriously uh when the rv lands on the ground it destroys one of the tires so they have to change the tire 
And this is where the robot demonstrates that he can lift things up that weigh a lot. You know, it's funny because like Finch is not really thinking of the robot as being a robot because he's been acting like as a kid. But he saw him like tie down, you know, like tighten up the nuts so much that like it basically held the RV down. And now obviously he's like, I just, you know, he just lifts up the whole RV instead of needing like a jack. And then, you know, they're able to change the the wheel. I think it's a a bit funny that like... Uh, Finch is surprised by the robot's strength even like it's like you designed this like you should know like his grip strength how much he can lift and all that stuff and yeah you built the robot you should know his specs why are you surprised that the robot can lift stuff okay anyway uh this is where he tells Jeff about his team um and his team is obviously Finch and the dog uh is this where they name the dog because the dog doesn't have a name but like he's like they need they need a name for the dog so he calls him I think I think when like uh the robot Jeff is named uh oh yeah he also like names the dog he reveals yep or he yeah he says the name of the dog is Goodyear although he you know mostly just calls him dog um and uh yeah well what's funny obviously you know like they they stop near I can't remember is it like a cafe or something but yeah, it's a cafe. They stop near a cafe. Like a diner. Yeah. Yep. And um, Finch, you know, is he goes inside to kind of stay out of the sun, basically. Uh, and he's obviously doing a bit of coughing because we've got to be reminded every 15 minutes that he's dying. Uh, and we see Jeff sitting in the driver's seat, like basically pretending to be Finch. And he kind of accidentally just starts driving the RV. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think he releases the brake and it sort of rolls forward. Yeah, but like it's, I, it's funny because actually... he's kind of doing the impression of Tom Hanks, like sitting in the chair. He's like he's repeating stuff Tom Hanks has just said, and he's you know acting in the way that Finch has been acting. Um, uh, this obviously causes some issues because Finch is mad that the you know he's basically almost drove off with the RV, but also he can't get to the RV because the sun is so strong. Yep. And he's not wearing his, you know, protective suit, so he has to kind of just run in the in the sun to to get to him, and he obviously gets a bit, you know, burned. No, he stands in the shade. He stands well, in the shade, yelling at the robot because, yeah, yeah. But he does end. He does end up like putting his hand into the sun, and it kind of burns him. Uh, and this yeah. is when he kind of yells at him, and he basically tells him, you know, like his main purpose is going to be to take care of the dog once he's not there, and that's what you've got to do. And you know, don't drive drive the RV. Um, but then at the same time, Finch realized, you know, did like Jeff is like, yeah, but I'm a robot and basically I can drive forever um, and yep. you're clearly sick. And, you know, so he, he eventually does. He kind of agrees to teach him how to drive. Um, and this is this is when we kind of we get a bit of an explanation of what's happened. You know, there's no ozone. Uh, there's no ozone layer. It's gone. And that's why basically everything is burning up and there are no crops. And basically it's only safe to travel at night. Um, and you know he's trying to make the robot kind of understand that the, like this is the situation you know like he's telling mm-hmm. Jeff you know this is how we've got to this is how we've got to get to San Francisco is by traveling at night when there's no sun otherwise no but he he tells he tells uh, I mean the robot says like why don't you travel at night oh sorry you know you know it's the opposite yeah. isn't it it's like it's dangerous to travel yeah. at night because it's safe for people to come out and attack you um, yeah you know. And so he hits, he like keeps repeating the theme of like don't trust people, people <laughs> equal bad, and so on. Yeah, but but yeah, you know, basically like, uh, everything's yeah. dead. That's the that's the explanation. Like everything's dead, and, and we've kind of yeah. already heard it once before. But you know, we, and we've seen it with the storms. Um, but you know, they just kind of gradually explain this. Um, I I feel like uh, you know one way of looking at the ending and so on and. Uh, you know, because of his choice to only go out during the day, like he's he, he's exposing himself to more radiation yeah. than he would at night. So he, in a way, he kind of caused his own premature death. Like, well, if he's in the RV and he's got his suit, yeah. then he's fine. But yeah, it is it is basically more risky to travel during the day. But it's also yeah. risky to travel at night, but only because that's when everybody else will be out and about. Um, now Finch obviously as he's getting ill and Jeff realizes this Jeff decides that as they're you know they're close to Denver and he sees a sign for the hospital that that's where they need to go but he will go with Dewey uh, which is the name of the robot dog that they have um, and they're going to go to a hospital and get some supplies and come back and help Finch Uh, obviously uh, this does not go well uh, because we find out that the hospital is a trap and you know although he doesn't trust i mean he's been told not to trust I people mean, but also he doesn't yeah. realize that 
people can lay traps for other people <laughs> and so um you know it's uh it's a uh, what do you think of this whole sequence i i thought it was kind of a bit of an anti-climax in a way because it doesn't really like it there's a whole bunch of build-up intention and then the reveal afterwards is the the car sitting in the garage or whatever waiting for them but, uh, yeah well i mean th- like obviously dewey gets destroyed by a bear trap which is sad, yep. you know, this nice little robot dog. He kind of walks over to look at something and then gets crushed by a bear trap. Um, do, do, do you remember what the thing he is? Like, he's reaching over for? Like, it's a it's like a Christmas-themed bag of donuts, and I thought those look really fresh for, like, apparently being, like, the apocalypse. So Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, somebody could have had him, like, in a fridge or something. Like, you know, but if they're just you being used as bait, then yeah. it doesn't really matter if you can eat them, does it? They're just there to try and catch someone in a bear trap. Yeah. Um, obviously, Finch uh, wakes up, goes to get to Jeff, um, and, you know, he gets to the hospital. They realize what's happened to Dewey, and he kind of tells him it was a trap. You know, basically, the hospital is just bait. Um, people have been using it to trap people. Uh, like you say, there's a car outside. Um, but, I mean, this does kind of lead to something, because they get back to the RV, and then they're being pursued. Um, yeah, I mean, Hanks passes out because he's already he's yeah he's sick, and then uh, the robots you know, been driving for hours or whatever. Yeah, but then then obviously we see people are behind them, and you know, so those are the people from the hospital. We have to assume who have been chasing them, and uh, we we should say it's just a car. We don't see anyone driving it. Like you, you don't know who's in the car. There's well, no I mean, faces yeah, or, I guess it could be a robot driving the car, aren't you? But I like there are, <laughs> there are obviously people. There are people who have laid the traps in that hospital yeah. and they are the people that are you know when people come they're obviously chasing them to find out what resources they've got so they can basically rob them that's that's what they're using the hospital yeah. for but i meant like what's even weirder is like you know he like jeff finds the cabinet full of food supplies and medicine so it's not it's not uh, you know that you could read it as like that's a that's a place where people live you know and someone has the keys to that cabinet and to ration out stuff or whatever possibly but at the same time it's a hospital so you expect that's where people come for supplies and stuff, but you know we're never really completely clear on exactly how long this apocalypse yep. has been going on. So, you know, it looks like it just happened yesterday, but also it happened twenty years ago. Like it's not, we don't fully understand it. Um, but anyway, like this just leads to them being pursued, which uh, you know, basically it, this is a series of things that will kind of uh, ruin the RV because you know they're, they're driving down the road. They see, you know, he sees that there's an overpass, so that means there's an underpass. They quickly go off the road and then they try to hide underneath uh, the overpass. Um, and this leads to the RV getting stuck just at the point that it's basically destroying all the solar panels. <laughs> and, yep. and so Jeff hops out and he pushes the rest of the RV under the underpass. And whoever was pursuing them, you know, obviously doesn't see them yep. and they drive by. And so they are safe again, but they're only safe. Did you th- uh, did you think of that meme video of all those trucks <laughs> driving under that bridge and just getting the top rift off or whatever? There's like a compilation no. video on YouTube. No, of like it. I can't. I can't say I've seen it, but obviously I'm aware of, you know, trucks misjudging a bridge. Obviously, what's funny is Jeff yeah. is like the you know the this the, this underpass is like 13 feet high, and he's basically trying to tell Finch you're going to destroy the RV, and he doesn't listen yeah. to him. Um, and they they end up kind of like you know like I say Jeff hops out and pushes the RV under completely wrecking what's left of the solar panels um, and then the next day um, you know based, basically you know the the like the RV is 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 not gonna they can't like live in it in the way that they have been living in it like they've they've been mm-hmm. basically using the solar panels to charge it up and then you know going on and you know like it's it's basically been uh you know their home. But that's not possible now because they have no way to power things back up. So, you know, they're only going to be able to get as far as they can get with it. Uh, and, you know, it, I think it, it, this, this, is the, this is the point where, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's, there's rain, there's rain coming and Finch is like, you know, we've got to not we've got to get, you know, we've got to be getting out of here. Like, you know, this is like we can't stay here. We, you know, we've got to keep moving um and this is where we get a bit more of the backstory of like the solar flare destroys the planet some hid some survived um and he talks about how this kind of you know how afterwards people were behaving in a certain way and you know this is this this is why he is kind of hiding from the rest of the world essentially he was lucky in that he had like a research facility where he could 
hide. <laughs> so, you know, he was able to kind of stay out of the sun and, you know, um, you know, he, he was like an engineer. So he was able to uh, give himself a way to kind of survive and go and scavenge and stuff. Uh, but obviously other people weren't that lucky and he tells about a family and, you know he's there's a mother and a, a daughter and he 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 you know he overhears the mother basically saying to the daughter if you see anyone shoot him with the gun there is in your hand yeah uh, he mentions that we, she we should say like the the daughter is like a kid like nine or something yeah yeah she's got a unicorn backpack because obviously yeah she's a girl i thought the unicorn backpack thing was like a weird detail like just say she's got a backpack she, what? No, I think it's a good detail. It's like, hey, it's, it's about innocence, Darren. <laughs> it's about innocent being, innocence being destroyed. I think it's also about not having any copyrights because normally you would say she had a, my, you know, my little pony. Something well, Paw Patrol. Like you would, you would name a brand. Yeah. You would, you would, yeah. you would say it, you don't just have generic unicorn. Like it would be a specific unicorn from something, but they they're trying to keep it generic. Um. And, and the the product placement in this is pretty good. Like the dog is called Goodyear, so that that gets that like out of the way. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, they could have called him Hancock, but wouldn't have been as effective. Um, yeah. So I mean, but like yeah, he he brings he brings attention to the backpack because obviously he's telling the story about how you know a guy with a shotgun turns up. Uh, in a in a station wagon, uh, and obviously because he's overheard the fact that the girl is basically going to shoot him, he instead of like helping this family, he keeps his distance. And this guy shows up with a shotgun, and you know because Finch is effectively a coward, he's he's not going to get involved. And so you know the the it ends up with a little girl basically killing everybody <laughs> and and getting killed herself. And what's left is a backpack. Yeah, it's a, sort of and he goes and sees the backpack, and in it is a puppy. And that puppy, of course, grew up to be Goodyear, the dog who was coming in the film. Um, is it is it like outside of a Goodyear? Like, is that why he names it that? Or I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's the name that was already given to it. It was on the collar or whatever. But yeah, he, you know, he found that he found the puppy. And uh, much like in News of the World, which is another film that was out on streaming and has a lot of like shots of, um, you know, uh, horizons and stuff and open land, because obviously it was also partially shot during COVID restrictions. So there's a lot of people keeping their distance. Um, you know, we get a lot we get a lot of uh, landscapes in this and we get another one the next day as they resume their journey. And uh, Finch, uh, you know, he's obviously feeling very ill. And we find out from Jeff that they are 400 miles from San Francisco. Um, and we, we abruptly stop because a butterfly hits the windshield. We'd been told previously that basically all life was dead and there was no insects and no birds and nothing. Uh, and in fact, that's something that like, I, I, I mean, I don't know that you really notice it, but like whenever they're outside, there is no there's no sound of wildlife, like not yeah. not in the distance. There's nothing. So it's yeah, it's like deadly silent. Yeah, it's like I think one thing the film does really well is like the isolation and sort of like yeah. the atmosphere of that like is really well uh, represented. Yeah. So, um, you know, but the the thing is, the radiation here is not as high because, and that's how the, the you know these butterflies are surviving. And Finch tests this by putting his arm out into the sun. Finch, what are you doing, you madman? Put a thermometer out there. Like, like <laughs> don't just thrust your arm out into something that might basically kill you. Like. Yeah, uh, I I think he wakes up too late to hear his like his wristwatch or his detector thing say like radio radiation level acceptable or minimal or whatever. Yeah, so. yeah, we see that with Jeff. Like it says that the radiation level yep. is low, um, and so yeah, he puts on a suit and they put up an umbrella and they basically go and yep. have some food, and you know they enjoy being able to sit outside without being in you know restrictive wear. Um, I thought he looked like a. <laughs> he looked like an. What no? I wrote when I saw him in that suit. I was like, oh, he looks like an incel. <laughs> like <laughs> he's wearing a fedora, isn't he? <laughs> like that. Well, I th I thought he looked a little bit like his character from the Lady Killers. I was like, oh. you know, that maybe they're dressing him up to look like his, uh, you know, HR door or whatever his character was from that. You know, maybe <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember his yeah. name. They're, they're, maybe they're dressing him up to like like the guy from the Lady Killers, but. Uh, uh yeah so uh you know he makes it clear to um jeff that he's dying uh, yeah. uh jeff has looked at the postcards and realizes that they're all blank on the back they're just 
postcards and he kind of confesses at this point and the the one postcard that he said was from his uncle went to san francisco he then reveals was actually from his dad um you know when he was born his dad kind of left because he was in the military and you know one one day he sent this postcard um and said that you know they should meet in san francisco one day um and to emphasize the fact that of course um finch is dying he coughs up a bunch of blood and ruins his fancy suit um, so, yeah. and um you know rather than kind of like going back into the rv straight away he starts playing ball with uh goodyear starts throwing it and goodyear starts bringing it back to him and then jeff starts picking up the ball and throwing it but goodyear won't come back to jeff with the ball and just runs straight through his legs back to finch um and we kind of you know we kind of get the idea that you know he, he Finch wants to make sure that Goodyear is used to having Jeff as his caretaker, and yeah. so he kind of instigates this game of catch so that um, Goodyear will go and get the ball and return it to Finch. And eventually, he kind of starts doing that, um, and then Finch decides to go back to the RV so he can die, and he does. And we hear Goodyear, uh, you know, howling at his death. Yeah, some solid dog acting, right? Yeah. There. Uh, he mentioned in passing that they had Viking blood, so rather than burying him normally, uh, Jeff, you know, out of his own brain, decides that he's going to set fire to his body. So he kind of like wraps I, him. I up. thought that was very morbid, just like this idea of like, <laughs> the robot disposing of the body that way straight away. Yeah, um, but you know, like, yeah, like it's kind, it kind of sort of makes sense that he kind of gives him a Viking funeral, but he just doesn't have a boat to stick him on. Um, so he just basically sets fire to his body in the middle of the desert um, and makes him a little plaque that says, you know, uh, Finch Weinberg. And then, you know, I think he sticks to plaque at the end in San Fran. So it's like 400 miles away yeah. from where he died. But I'm saying, you know, he makes a plaque for him, like in, in memoriam yep. of him. Yeah. But yeah, he he decides, you know, he he decides to take uh, Goodyear to the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and so they resume their journey. And eventually he starts to, you know, they on the along the way they stop off and he starts playing ball with him and he starts bringing it back to him so that we see, obviously, that Finch will be taking yep. care of Goodyear and Goodyear has accepted him. Um, and then they arrive at the Golden Gate Bridge um, with a little bit of voiceover from like 20 minutes earlier where he talks about hearing the sound of like the wires on the bridge. Um, you know, that's yeah. a human it's, experience. It's about experience. Yeah. It's about living, Darren. Yeah. Like a robot gets to live. <laughs> yes. And I, I think it's funny because obviously Jeff will get to see this dog die. And then we'll have to, I don't know, set fire to that body. And then what does he do? What does he do for the rest <laughs> he, of time? His whole directive is about dogs. Yeah. Like he has to take care of dogs. Well, we That'd see, be pretty sweet. We see at the Golden Gate Bridge there is like, as in, you know, many classical uh, apocalyptic films, uh, even in like War of the Worlds, the uh, Steven Spielberg film, uh, like people just put, you know, posters like missing posters onto like a wall. Yeah. And then they, they overlap them so much that you can't even see half of them. So it's like, what's the point? Uh, but on this, you know, there's there's not tons overlapping, but they are attached to like the, you know, not the gate. I, I thought it was like it, it, there should have been more there. Like it should have been like the entire bridge covered in. I, like a bunch I of... think like, well, yeah, that that's a that's a production designer's thought, isn't it? Is to cover yeah. them, which is what they do in War of the Worlds. There's like a wall which is covered in all these missing things. But I don't missing th- like in real life. I don't think that's what people do. People leave space between them. So maybe it goes oh, on yeah. further and maybe there's some further down I the mean, bridge. I, I thought I thought that whole thing motif was from like a 9-11 people putting up missing posters. They did. Like, I haven't seen you for days and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But but in films, it tends to be that they have thousands of them like stuck over the top of each other. Yep. Whereas obviously yep. in here, there's like a few that are stuck in the gate, uh, the fence next mm-hmm. to the Golden Gate Bridge, basically. So it kind of gives the idea that there are people out there who are living. And obviously, the the conditions in San Francisco are more hospitable than they are, um, you know, in St. Louis or wherever we started. So. It's kind of interesting that there's a possibility there's there's actually people out there for Jeff to go and find. Um, yeah. Which, you know, is a hopeful, upbeat ending. Uh, whereas some of these films are like, oh, we're there. Here comes another disastrous event that's going to kill everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, They could have done like a, the whole arc is about trust or whatever. It's about learning to trust a robot and yeah, trust between Finch and the robot. Well, yeah, and you know, I what well, I, I, you know, he he like when Finch would tell him about events, he kept saying he kept doing them like in a fairy tale way, as you know, saying once upon a time, and when he tries to tell a story without saying that, he's like, you know, you got to start it once upon a time, and so as he leaves with 
um, Goodyear, he says to him, how about a story? And he goes, once upon a time, and then we don't hear the rest of the story. Um, I'm assuming he's going to be telling the story of Finch and, you know, how he survived and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then American Pie, which was hummed earlier in the film and sung by <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks, plays over the end credits in its full, from start to finish, the entire American Pie. <laughs> uh, and the credits only just outlast it by a couple of minutes. Uh, of, huh. of course, worth saying, there's no title sequence at the beginning. There's no credits at the beginning. The film just starts. It's not until the, the end where it actually says Finch is the title of the film. And then, you know, we get all the, the normal credits. Um, yeah, so that, which is, I don't know, it's a weird thing that films have started doing in the last kind of like 20, 15 years. Just starting and not ever telling you what the name of the film is until you get to the very, very end. Or they do the opposite and they give you 17 production logos and credits for three minutes before you actually get the film. So. When, I think did that start with Batman Begins. I think that's the first film I remember really doing it. That has no opening credits at all. Yeah, I don't know. I, that trend I'm too. sure Chris Nolan done it on more than one film where he has literally no opening credits or anything. The film just starts, um, mm. and then you know it's not until the very end where you get the actual uh, the actual credits coming in. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. That's Finch. He's dead. He died. <laughs> Uh, which it, yeah, the goal, which is the goal a, achieved. The robot can take care of the dog. Yeah, which is which is unusual because this is like the, you know, before um, uh, what you would call it before Saving Private Ryan. Tom Hanks had never died on screen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his character died a couple of times off screen in Philadelphia, League of Their Own, uh, and then after that, he died on screen in Road to Perdition, where he gets shot, um, and obviously Lady Killers, where he goes over the bridge um, after being shot, I think. Um, He dies during 9-11 in extremely loud and incredibly close. Um, He dies a couple of times, I think, in Cloud Atlas. A couple of his characters die in that. Um, And then when you think about some of his biographies he's done recently, like he's playing the character of like Charlie Wilson, uh, who was alive when he did it, but he died in real life, you know, after um and the same with catch me if you can like the character he played in that died a few years after he he was in that film um Uh and then you know like captain phillips is still alive obviously sully is still alive Uh, captain (laughs) sully should i say like his captains are still alive um but in the post he plays ben bradley a character who's dead in a beautiful day in the neighborhood he plays fred rogers a person who is dead dead um in the next film we is a bridge of spies guy dead the lawyer he plays yes when he played him on screen the bridge of spies guy was dead and the same is true of walt disney of course in saving mr banks walt disney was already dead um um but yeah um in ithaca his character kind of dies during the film but he's also a ghost which is the only time tom hanks has appeared as a ghost on film uh, and then obviously he, like he dies on screen in this which is the first time I think since Incredibly Loud uh, and Extremely Close that he actually died on, sc- on screen as a character so I- Incredibly Loud and Close is he, is he does he die via the planes or was he in one of the towers he's in one or? of the towers Okay, they, no, they do they show. do a lot of build-up where they talk about him going for an interview and he's like oh yeah i'm going for an interview it's a, and, and then you see him in the tower and he's like oh we're, we're hearing something about and then he basically he's in the second he's in the tower when the second plane hits okay. that's when his character dies um so yeah but this is the first time since that film that i think i thought other than in cloud atlas i can't remember if all like he, he all of his characters don't die in that like one or two of them do so it's not kind of yeah. it's not really the same thing but yeah so yeah he dies on screen which is as i said like out of like at this point we're like 50 something films deep and he's only died on screen like five times <laughs> so tom hanks rarely dies on screen um but i think going forward tom hanks is going to be playing a lot more characters who yeah, have to I think have these to die are like on his screen. old man movies you know yeah yeah, yeah. well this like is him. it yeah he's gonna he's gonna have to start getting into the point of like you know dying on screen a lot because he's getting he's getting to that age um but yeah obviously in elvis it's slightly different because he he does play a character who dies on screen but he doesn't really die okay. he doesn't really die on screen in like the story is being told from his perspective which is a weird choice uh talk about it yeah. more in the next episode but yeah his character like does die but not not kind of in the same way as this um like it's just kind of in in text credits that are like oh he died um Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be like he's he's talking about Elvis on his bed or whatever, deathbed or whatever. That is kind of what he's doing, <laughs> but okay. but like it's not on his deathbed. It's just as he's old. Um, so yeah, but yeah, like Tom dying on screen is a very rare occurrence. So you know, here we have it, and you know, happening way before the end as well. Like you know, this is like like 
Mm. Uh, you know, I think other really than like Lady Killers and Road to Perdition, like his death doesn't really normally mark the end of the film. Like Saving Private Ryan, there's a large chunk of it's, that. It's film. pretty close to the end because it's like it's like what like twenty minutes of him like the robot and the dog alone. Yeah, so yeah. So it's you know, uh, but yeah. So uh, on this uh, on this podcast, obviously we only have two rankings. They are T Hanks or no T Hanks. So <laughs> how are you feeling about uh, Finch on two in terms of ratings? Uh, I I I think like it's I feel like it it's better than average. You know, it's like. If if you've seen like one apocalyptic post apocalyptic film, you've seen them all kind of. But uh, I think this is uh, uh, surprisingly enjoyable. I thought it was going to be more of a drag, and uh, I think it does a lot of interesting stuff with like uh, Hanks Hanks's character, and I uh, just he's clearly having some form of PTSD from uh, everything he he's seen and gone through. And uh, I would give it a T Hanks for sure. Like I. If you if you want to like watch Tom Hanks interact with a robot for a nap, two hours or whatever, yeah, this is your movie. Yeah, I I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I would say two Hank, T Hanks as well. Again, this probably falls into the you know post Catch Me If You Can category of like T Hanks, but I'm never probably going to watch this film ever again. Yeah, you know, if somebody's like, oh, should I watch Finch? I'd be like, yeah, you know, it's an enjoyable like two hander between Caleb Landry Jones and yeah. Tom. First, you got to get over the barrier of actually being on Apple Plus and yeah, all that. yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah there's there's a a few things to overcome there but then also you know i think it is like an interest in um you know like like you know tom hanks like we say like it's rare that he does a film where it's only him and somebody else like you know even in castaway it was him and a volleyball like you know like he does have to have somebody to talk you know to kind of interact off um and you know there are a lot of films where tom hanks character is the main character and, and everybody else is kind of you know you know minor characters but when you look at something like the post where it's like a gigantic cast of you know it's like a big ensemble thing you know that's that's kind of like the complete opposite of this where you know you do have him interacting with a lot of people here it's just literally him talking to caleb landry jones on stilts and then they rotoscope him out and then you know there's some stuff with the dog like the dog is actually on screen a little less than you would think for a film that's meant to be about you know building a robot to look after the dog like the dog maybe has like 25 percent screen time it's mostly either tom hanks doing stuff to show how you would survive you know like (laughs) cleaning stuff and the dog is in a lot of the movie i think it's at least like i might even say 50 to 40 percent i mean in terms of like interacting like the dog's there yeah he's on screen yeah but like in terms of in in terms of like interacting with the with either the robot or with tom hanks like there's you know yeah the dog's either you know standing up or sitting down or peeing on stuff like it's very like it's very rare that the do- like he's ta- like he'll talk to the dog offhand, but a lot of the film yeah. is him talking to the robot and telling the robot how to do stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, like it, like it's an enjoyable watch. And as we said, you know, Caleb Landry Jones uh, winning all the awards for Nitram, like he's a good actor. And I think, um, you know, what's really annoying, he was like born in like 1989 or something. So it's like, uh, you know, I think you know there's there's bigger things to come from caleb landry jones even now like yep. you know he's had some kind of minor roles uh but i think nitram shows like the kind of potential you know like he, he could be like a really big um star going forward um uh did i asked you this before but do you think this would have tanked at the box, box office like during everything that was going on at the time and so I can't imagine people like getting out to see this in droves or whatever i don't know people 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 have been going out in droves to see a sequel to top gun I don't know that anybody would have okay. said that that would be the top grossing film of 2022 before, yeah. you know, if you're in 2021 and you're like, what do you think is going to be the biggest film next year? I don't know that yeah. you'd looked at Maverick and gone, yeah, that's going to be the biggest. Like, it's like. Yeah, but that's like a legacy sequel, though. So people would have given it a shot at least. Like, I... Until I could name I could name you at least five or six sequels that were done like 20 to 30 years after the fact that bombed yeah. hard. And okay. starting with the two Jakes and going from there. Like. So it's not. It's just because you've got like a you know a, a sequel with a bit of a built-in audience. There's no guarantee that it will it will have yeah. any success. Uh, I think I think the reason that Maverick did really well is because Mission Impossible is delayed until next year. Yeah. And so I, I think you know. uh, I think it also did really well because like all the press about like everything is practically done. Like there's yeah. no there's barely any CGI. And I think I I I went to see. T- uh, Maverick for that reason I was like okay well a bunch of dudes sitting in actual planes and the actors are sh- 
you know, their own cinematographer as well as their own sound guys or whatever. Well, also, when they, like, pass out at high heights, they really did pass out and there's somebody else driving the plane, like, to get it back down. So, you know, yeah, but, like, that's a bit of a spectacle. I think this would have done okay because I think, you know, you would have had the AARP audience willing to go (laughs) and see it. Like, you know, when I saw West Side Story, I'm not kidding you, that was 95% old people in there. Like, you know, there are certain audiences that aren't generally catered for. Um, and I don't know how successful like Downton Abbey the movie 2 was because uh, I didn't go and see it but I you know I think it did well enough um, and the reason is because as someone who like goes to the movies indiscriminately that blows my mind but also I would think less of you if you had spent money to see Downton Abbey or The Return or whatever it's called The Legacy or yeah. well yeah I, I mean like you know, I had no interest in watching it because one, I never watched the TV show, and two, it's written by a, a right wing Tory, who yeah, yeah, exactly. I would be like, Ugh. I mean, he wrote Gosford Park, but he wrote Gosford Park before he like literally was you know made a lord and voted you know for for poor people <laughs> yeah. to go starving or whatever. Um, but yeah, so like, but like, there's an audience out there of like you know over fifties that is not really catered for, and you know if it's just Tom Hanks. Uh, you know, as a man who I think somebody like estimated that his character's got to be like close to seventy-five, just from when things were meant to have happened. So you know, you t- you're talking about somebody who's over fifty himself, and that's the main character, and there's only him and a robot, and that's it. I think that could be marketed so that you know people of a certain age would go and see that anyway. Um, and like you say, if you play up the dog in the marketing, you you know you get you get you get annoyed. Yeah, okay, yeah. But I, I like I I don't think that this film was super expensive. Like uh, you know. Um, doing all the stuff we came with Andrew Jones, most of that was done by like six or seven puppeteers, like you know the when stuff moves and all that kind of like the interaction between between the robot and the environment was mostly done by puppeteers rather than CGI. So I don't think this film was hugely expensive, and so I I'm guess I'm guessing the thing that cost the most was having Tom Hanks. Everything else, <laughs> everything else probably cost think- just as much as his wages. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. Yeah, it's it's not too expensive. Like, cause there's only a few locations. Like, it's a pretty no thrills. Like, as as you can get. But you know, a lot of the set design and all that stuff would have cost a lot to shut down a few streets or whatever to <laughs> make it all dusty and stuff. Also, I mean, also in America, there are some uh, there's some like ghost towns that you can hire out for. So I'm guessing they probably you know used a couple of those, but. Uh, I think more importantly, you know, like this year, you also have like Elvis has been a huge hit. And, you know, part of that is the fact that there's a lot of Elvis fans out there. But again, Elvis fans are people over a certain age. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of kids are going to watch it because of the soundtracks. Yeah. Um, like, you know, yeah. Well, in the, in the screening I was in. No, you're not. You know, like not true really. kids, like people like over here, like under the age of 15. Nope. Not going to see Elvis. Okay, so no Doja Cat fans are going no, to watch it or whatever. No, 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 no. It's 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 people between like the ages of forty and sixty that were going to see Elvis. Oh, okay, I I've not seen Elvis. Yeah. I, I'm I kind of mind. You've not seen Elvis. And... It's made by an Australian. <laughs> it's made by yeah, Baz. I, I... <laughs> and it's written yeah, yeah. by Baz Luhrmann ba- and Baz Luhrmann with Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> I I haven't. I can't remember the last strain film I paid money to see. So people can get mad at me at that, but. Uh, yeah, I, it opened. It opened bit. one day early in Australia, onto you. You had a chance to beat the world to have an opinion on Elvis. <laughs> no, I, I did not care. Like I, an Elvis movie shot and filmed here is in Australia. I mean, is kind of that's bad juju. You got to shoot it in America, goddammit. it! I mean, it, it gave Tom Hanks COVID. He recovered from COVID in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Your country nearly yeah. killed him, and you couldn't. And you couldn't. Yeah. I don't know. It's a yeah. But like it's it's the fourth highest grossing Australian produced film ever. Come on, um, really? At what a quarter quarter of a billion? That's kind of that's kind of shocking. I thought we'd have more more in there. Well, here's the thing: as fun contest, name the top three Australian productions in terms guessing... in terms of gross, and this can also be um, you know adjusted. Okay, is it films that were shot here? Does that count? Films that were shot and produced there by people who are Australian directors. That's the key thing. Okay, so I can't say The Matrix, for example, because like, no, the doesn't count. This is shot here. Right. No. Okay, I, I'm saying, I, well, it can't be Fury Road because that was shot in Africa. Yes, yeah, no, that doesn't Africa, count so. either. No. Yeah, uh, I have no idea. I maybe uh, <laughs> some 
You, yeah, he's serious movie. Or... Here's here's the thing. You, basically, you've named the director of two of the top five highest grossing Australian produced films. Um, uh, babe. So Babe. Babe is number three. Sure. Babe is number three. Happy yeah. Feet is number yeah. five. So. Right. I've already told you the director uh, of the number two film. Also, is it also George Miller? Like no, babe, no, Pig in the no. Was... That's all. That's all. That's all. The that's all the George Millers out there. Uh, God damn it! I'll tell you. Uh, Baz Luhrmann would be well. Yeah, I'll, is Moulin Rouge? I'll tell you this. Romeo and Juliet. No, well, I'll tell you this. Great Gatsby's number nine, and Moulin Rouge is number eight. Okay. So, what do you think is number two? Maybe Strictly Ballroom or something like that. No, or... I didn't make a ton of money. Okay, I, I, I have no idea. Then. Australia. I'm, I'm it's literally shocked. in the name of the oh, thing. God Australia. Uh, I thought people fucking hated that movie, and it's pe- like you it didn't do well. People do, but it made money. It made okay. money because it got a huge tax incentive, so it was extremely profitable. Okay. Uh, but no, the highest grossing film, uh, Australian produced, Crocodile Dundee. Oh, okay. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, like, And then Elvis is number still four. Still have not seen it. Well, you know, well, I'll be talking more about that on the next episode. But yeah, so, uh, you know, Finch, enjoyable. You know, Tom Hanks. Yeah, it, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's completely fine. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything before we go that you wish to plug? Uh, I'd, I'd plug uh, my... Uh, upcoming show but it's not ready yet so i i suppose just uh i follow the t hanks uh twitter and i'll ask darren to retweet the show when it's ready <laughs> okay uh you can find us on twitter at t underscore ft memory thanks for being my guest for this particular episode on too uh yeah you're totally welcome uh yeah you made me watch this completely uh like unessential movie i had a fun watching it <laughs> Um, and yeah I mean in this film Tom Hanks plays the title character but in the next one uh, he's going to end up killing him <laughs> <laughs>